Hey guys, this is Gabe. I'm just coming in real quick to say that there was an issue with one of our recordings and it got accidentally deleted. So we had to use a backup and the sound quality isn't nearly as good as it normally is. So I just wanted to come in and apologize for that. Still, I think we had a very fun discussion with our guest, Chris, about Equilibrium. So I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 50 of Underrated, a show where we talk about great films that just don't get enough love. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. And uh, dude, we made it to 50 episodes. That's a big deal. It's, it's pretty cool. I'm kind of in disbelief. Yeah, but uh, here we are. I, I, mean, I, I still I, enjoy it. All right, and tonight we are joined by a special, a special guest. It's Chris Reyes from the Story to Screen podcast. Uh, Welcome to Underrated, Chris. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, congratulations on uh, 50 episodes. Wow, what a what a milestone. Imagine how old we're going to be when we get to that age. We're going to be old and saggy. <laughs> but uh, no, thank you very much for having me, and uh, I'm looking forward to tonight's uh, review, uh, Equilibrium. Yeah, and uh, we, we actually uh, got to be on your show uh, uh, a while back. We uh, Was it up? Uh, Kong Skull Island. Kong Skull Island, which was a great '80s movie, in my opinion. Um, but no, yeah, that was a that was a lot of fun to have you guys on there. Um, uh, have you guys seen that movie again since uh, since it came out? By any chance? I saw it twice for the, sh- the for the podcast, but no, I did not uh, see it. Haven't seen it since. Although I have been become a a huge uh, uh, fan of Jordan Roberts' Twitter account. I need to, I need to follow I was him about on. To say I he's pretty awesome to follow on twitter he goes on really long rants that i'm almost always 100 percent behind all right uh, so before we move on chris I don't, you want to just uh, introduce your show and you know anything else you might be a part of online yeah uh my show is the story to screen movie review podcast uh two with the the number two not t-o which people seem to get confused by um it's a uh podcast that i've been hosting um for four years now actually and um, I started it with my really good friend, Joshua Ling, and uh, we just had this huge love for both movies and stories. And we just kind of got together and we just we did um, we just talked about it. We just kind of had an in-depth discussion about the deeper meaning of what was this supposed to symbolize? What is this? The, what is the meaning of this? You know, does this work on a fundamental level? Does this work on a technical level? So we're kind of a very in-depth a movie review uh, type of show that also talks about, you know, both old and new movies. So if you're a fan of classic movies, we've done a lot. If you're a fan of all of film together, then this is definitely a podcast for, you know, for you guys, because and another thing, too, is that we're definitely personality driven because, um, as you can tell, I'm very, very personality driven. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's hosted by me, Joshua, uh, Benjamin Curley, Ian Maffitt and Abigail Ling. Um, we're kind of in a hiatus, uh, hiatus uh, right now because we've just been really, really busy in our personal and our professional lives. Um, so we so we haven't really done much uh, lately, but we're coming back soon. Uh, very soon, actually. So just keep an eye out for our new episode on the on the feed. Yeah, if only podcasting paid the bills. <laughs> I don't know how Chris Hardwick does it on his the the Nerdist show, but if I can find a way, 
uh, I'll be happy to give you those <laughs> secrets of how it's done because that guy is very lucky that he's doing something like that. Yeah, he's got a cool thing going oh, on. Oh, my gosh. All right, uh, but before we uh, move into the main topic, have either of you seen any uh, cool movies this week that you that you want to mention? I'll start with you, Chris. Hmm, have I seen some good films lately? Well, um, interesting enough that you mentioned that. Um, I'm actually in the preparation of directing a, a short film very soon, actually. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I've. Um, this is going to be my directorial debut, and it's something that I wrote. Um, but uh, anyway, you know, the, I've been looking for at a lot of films as sources of inspiration for my film. Uh, I actually just went to the public library and I rented, um, what did I get? Oh, uh, The Passion of Joan of Arc, a French film, a French silent film, actually, that you probably never, probably a lot of people have never heard of. Um, it's actually a very interesting um uh, a very interesting kind of depiction of the Joan of Arc trial in England. Actually, it has a, it has nothing to do. It has it's actually post her uh, military um, campaign efforts. Actually, it's during her trial. And uh, have any of you seen seen or heard of this film? By the way, the name sounds familiar. It's probably come up in like some cinephile circle or something, but I have not seen it. It's about the same for me. I know I've heard of that name, uh, but I know relatively nothing of. It's a very. It. It's it's kind of more like a courtroom drama. Think of it more like a, a Twelve Angry Men in that sense. It's very much done in that style, um, except it's all set in this one. It's set, except it's in a castle uh, as opposed to being in one room. But the the director really goes in for a lot of these interesting emotional close-ups like it's a very performance heavy type of film and it's very interesting and i highly recommend it if you're looking for like a movie about acting it's a very um evocative in that sense and i and i kind of and i really gleaned a lot from it of how to when you're in a close-up shot of how an actor kind of emotes his or her own feelings in those moments. So that's a, that's a film that I saw, um, and very good, very powerful too. Um, oh, I saw uh, Clint Eastwood's J. Edgar. Did any of you see that one? <laughs> I did not see it, and I haven't heard good things about it. I don't know what Clint Eastwood is thinking, but it's it's not a bad film per se. But it's not his his. But it's definitely. It's definitely his worst in the sense that it's playing up his worst instincts as a director. And um, what is it again? It's it's like dark, you know, it's just like in even like in night, even like daytime scenes, this is like dark or even like in the nighttime scenes. It's a very pitch black um, type of look to it. And it just doesn't work at all. And I can't I couldn't even barely see anything at all. It was a very it's a very weird kind of film experience for me. And. I know people love DiCaprio, but I think he is highly miscast in this film. It just feels like it. I think he's a great actor. I think he's a tremendous actor, but he does not convince me as J. Edgar Hoover. He feels like a guy doing an archetype of the or playing not an archetype, but he's doing a um, he's doing a impression of edgar hoover 
as opposed to being Edgar Hoover. It's a very it's a very weird performance. Like, and I don't he just he's just not cut out for that type of film. Hmm. And I think his he's he's not bad, but he's just not cut out for the role. He's just like with a, you you expect nothing but the best from DiCaprio, but. I don't know. It's just it's a very it's a very weird performance, and uh, but that's kind of been it for me in terms of the movies that I've seen. Actually, oh yeah, I saw uh, Harold Lloyd's Safety. What is it? Safety Last, actually. So it's his iconic uh, silent film with the clock tower, and he's like hanging mm-hmm. from the side. Uh-huh. So that was another good one right there too. Silent film comedy, always great. Doesn't fail to deliver. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. I, I I know the sequence you're talking about, so I really should see it eventually. All right, and uh, what about you, James? So I, uh, some friends have introduced me to the Fargo television series. So I've been watching a lot of that recently, and Ooh. it's pretty fantastic. Uh, Martin Freeman is once again proving why he's one of my favorite actors. He's just like so committed to every aspect of this character. Uh, you can see his little Martin Freeman quirks come up, but he, like he manages to make them work for his character and feel like no, it's that's something that's specific to this character. Even though like uh, you kind of see him do this before in different roles, but the way he's able to adapt himself to different characters is just so impressive. And uh, the rest of the cast is great too, um, especially Billy Bob Thornton, uh, <laughs> such a such an interesting character. Um, so if you like the the tone of the movie, I definitely recommend the show. Uh, it it's crazy how many different plot lines are being juggled just in one season, but it's managed to keep me completely entertained so far. Uh, have, you, have you seen the film? Yeah. So is he like a stand-in for the William H. Macy character? No, it's actually, it has, at least so far, I'm not quite done with season one. I think I have like two more episodes. It bears almost nothing in terms of like story uh, with the, the movie. He's a completely different character. I think the only thing that connects the two is that they're both set in Fargo. Um, mm. But it's just, it's, it's more, you know, more crimes and things. And you kind of have that quirky, weird, dark comedy going on. Um, but in terms of like any sort of narrative connections, I don't think there's any. So I, I really like that. And then I've also kind of decided that September is just early October for me. So I've been watching scary movies. Nice. Um. I, I, I'm a huge, I, I think I'm loving horror movies more this year than any other year. Uh, I watched the devil's candy, which is, is better than the title would suggest. Um, it's actually a pretty well-made little indie movie. Um, it, it's mostly, in my opinion, it feels most like just a, a family drama with, uh, that has like thriller elements to it and some supernatural elements, though it doesn't go too far into it. Um, but, but it, it got me surprisingly invested into the story just because it avoided almost every cliche that like a family centric horror movie makes. So it was just a really refreshing pace, uh, or change of pace with that in mind. And then I think the last thing I saw was another horror film, uh, a movie called We Are Still Here. There's another low budget indie horror movie. And this one... It kind of shows its budget a little bit more than than I'd like. Uh, some of the acting is a little spotty. Um, the visual effects kind of look like it was definitely just this this local team, but it felt like they were having so much fun with the prosthetics and stuff that it was actually added to the movie. 
uh, and there's actually a lot of really cool stuff that the director did with this movie. Little kind of changes to the genre that you wouldn't expect. So, uh, overall, I'd say it's been a pretty good movie week for me. Um, I know you're not really into horror, but if you ever decide to start taking steps into it, uh, these, are, these are pretty good. I've heard good things about uh, We're Still Here. All right, um, and I have seen no movies because I have been spending basically every watching every waking hour watching Game of Thrones. Uh, I, I finally uh, got VidAngel uh, to allow me to watch it without with, and avoid a lot of the very you know famous content involved. Oh, in the show. I know, I know, yeah. I started it and watched all seven seasons in two weeks. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> wow. This was a it was it was a very. Uh, at times rough, but very, I think, re- rewarding experience. Um, this show is just phenomenal. Um, I don't think I've ever seen such a realistic depiction of a, an, an honest depiction of a medieval uh, world, just in, just in the, the innate brutality of, of uh, feudalism and how, how it affected people and the, you know, the type of people that would rise to the top in that type of uh, setting and just the the characters, there are so many just wonderfully written characters. I mean, both both good characters and the bad the bad characters are just as fascinating as the good guys. And it it rarely goes into cliches. I mean, there's a stark honesty and brutality to the reality of war and you know what happens, especially in this more brutal time period. So, and I think. There are times where I think it does possibly lean a bit too hard into just the darkness, but I think, it, but I do think it keeps a very, for the most part, a very good balance between the humanity and brutality. Uh, just a lot of really phenomenal performances from guys like uh, Peter Dinklage or Kit Harrington, uh, Lena Headey, and a whole bunch of other British character actors uh, sprinkled throughout that just do fantastic work. Um, yeah, I, I definitely would not recommend seeing it I mean, as a Christian. I can't, I could recommend seeing it without obviously either fast forwarding through certain scenes or using a service like VidAngel. But if you can, I think it's, it's, and if you can stomach some of the brutality, it's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the Game of Thrones, it's funny you bring up Game of Thrones, like because of the media circles that I'm kind of a part of, you know, I am like. <laughs> I'm like fully aware of like the Game of Thrones like phenomenon because I just can't escape it. You, you know what I mean? Like even mm-hmm. like even like yeah. even before watching it, like was it just were you just like aware of stuff like okay, this guy died this week because that was the stuff that was making the headlines constantly. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. I I I had the entire everything completely spoiled before I even saw it. Yeah, Game of Thrones is one of those things. I would. Do you watch Game of Thrones, James? By any chance? Uh, I haven't seen it. It's kind of been on a rotation of a bunch of different other shows that I I keep hearing things about. So I'm gonna just have to spin this random wheel and watch that, or House of Cards, or whatever other show that that I get recommended every other week. Yeah. It's funny with Game of Thrones because that's one of those shows that is like right up my alley because I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan and I remember the marketing for this for the for the first season actually and it was getting like it was like being advertised as the next Lord of the Rings and and it definitely has become that new Lord of the Rings Harry Potter phenomenon in the pop culture and 
I would, and it's and it's got all the it's got all the right elements. It's got great actors. It's got like poli- it's got more of a political aspect. It's got more of these kind of what if fantasy was mixed into the real world? What if the medieval world could tie into this? And you know, I would have I would have happily watched it the first the first episode. But my gosh, I mean it. When it comes to sex and it comes to, you know, just graphic stuff like that, I'm really turned off by that kind of stuff because that's just something I just particularly just don't care for. And I think you can you can tell great stories without having to go that far. And, you know, which classic film definitely explored that for many years and it kind of went haywire. But when it comes to this kind of graphic content, um, when you watch the um, yeah, on... on VidAngel, or uh, what, what's it called again? Uh, I, I use VidAngel. VidAngel, okay, yeah, that's what it's called. When you use VidAngel, like, how much does it cut? I mean, does it cut out a lot? Like, are you watching probably, like, half an hour of, of Game of Thrones, or is it pretty much the same length? Because I know they run for, like, 60 minutes. No, uh, it, there are a there it's the, the good thing about the service is there's a whole breadth of settings that you're allowed to do, and so you can choose like very specifically what kind of scenes you want cut out and, and, you know, or how extreme. So, and the, I mean, the, the scene, the, the show did coin the term sex position. So there are some scenes that are, that are like dialogue driven that also unfortunately have a lot of content that you do lose, but you, you, it, it's nothing huge at most, a couple of minutes episodes. And there are some episodes that have absolutely no content whatsoever. So, I, it it doesn't really damage the experience as a whole that much at all. Okay. Yeah, you 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 might miss a conversation every couple episodes, but re- yeah, it's it's not too bad. It's just it's it's just f- fascinating to me how to see how television has just evolved into this cinematic level, where it seems like it has really pushed the boundaries of storytelling. That I think even filmmakers in films are like, wow, we I cannot believe they're doing this on that format, and we're barely doing anything on this format specifically film yeah they're, they're definitely yeah they're, like, they're, they're definitely especially the game of thrones like, especially they have the game like of thrones 10 15 million dollars per episode so they, they have like 10 really 15 million dollars per episode so they, the spectacle they really get a chance to play it, up the spectacle there are times aspect. it feels it, like you're it, watching there are times that it feels film. like you're watching a, a all right um, so is there anything else you guys want to mention before we move into the main review do we get a bathroom break and a uh, do we get a buffet too uh no bathroom break you just gotta hold it in so just hope we don't go long so let's begin our review for Equilibrium. Equilibrium was released in 2002. It was directed by Kurt Wimmer on a budget of 20 million. It only grossed 5 million, so pretty much a disaster. Uh, it stars Christian Bale, Tay Diggs, Emily Watson, Sean Bean, Angus McFadden, and William Fickner. It was shot by Dion Beebe, and the score was composed by uh, Klaus Badelt. And I think this pretty much confirms that uh, it was probably Hans Zimmer who was the brains behind the Curse of the Black Pearl soundtrack uh, the very next year. And so, uh, Chris, I'll, I'll get you to read that uh, brief synopsis I sent you. In a futuristic world, a strict regime has eliminated war by suppressing emotions, books, art, and music are strictly forbidden and feeling is a crime punishable by death. Cleric John Preston, played by Christian Bale, is a top-ranking government agent responsible for destroying those who resist the rules. 
when he misses a dose of prosium, a mind-altering drug that hinders emotion, Preston, who has been trained to enforce the strict laws of the new regime, suddenly becomes the only person capable of overthrowing it. That was my honest trailer man voiced. <laughs> I think you should uh, audition for that in the future. Uh, they probably th- would throw me out of the recording booth because they realize I can't <laughs> read very well. <laughs> All right. Um, so this is your pick, Chris. Why did you want to bring it on? Well, uh, I suggested it and then you ran with it. And I'm so proud and honored that it would that it was uh, I, I planned this strategically because I wanted this to fit for the 50th episode, actually. So my plan worked big time, actually. So um, I'm just happy to be here for this 50th episode and uh, for this milestone with Equilibrium. Uh, even in spite of the fact that we scheduled you like six months ago. <laughs> Again, it, it, it was not going to lie. It was a crazy part of my life. So a lot of things were happening there that I really don't want to get into. Uh Women problems, girl problems, uh, job-related problems, you name it. Um, minus drinking. Anyway, um, I was, uh, I was, what was it again? I I actually saw this movie um, like 10 years ago, and it was one of those action movies that really stuck with me. And even more so than The Matrix, because I know this is a movie that is really compared to The Matrix a lot. Um but this movie aesthetically can be compared to the matrix however it is very different because the matrix is a movie about um kind of as a, a much more philosophical kind of driven film where it's about more about it's more about destiny what's real what is the is our world you know real where equilibrium is about emotions it's about feelings um and the importance of of life so it's a much more equilibrium kind of is a much more intimate kind of look um on that level kind of in that level where matrix is much more uh, kind of broad it's much more intimate i think and i think that's kind of the uniqueness of this movie not saying it's a perfect movie but i think it does um a lot of things right. I think it's got better acting in this movie than The Matrix, actually. <laughs> I know I'm going to get heresy for that, but I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think it is uh, slightly better in that regard. Um, and I actually think it's just a very highly underrated action movie, actually, because it, it's, its action and its imagination is pretty spectacular. And I put it up there with, like, Revenge of the Sith as an underrated action movie. Um, Edge of uh, Edge of Tomorrow, I think, is a very underrated action flick too. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and even Tron, uh, the Tron Legacy. Actually, I think those are these. I would put those in the category of very underrated uh, sci-fi action movies. Yeah, it seems like it, for for I think how little attention this film does get. The one thing that everyone remembers are are the action bits. Mm-hmm, yeah um, they are they are pretty pretty intense and, and i think a fairly unique in way that you know stands out and mostly uh holds up to the test of time it really does what about you james so what is your uh, history with this so uh whenever i moved off to college about four years ago uh i moved in with my brother and there was a time i think like the first several weeks was just us watching movies uh he had a big collection of stuff i had never seen and so 
Night after night, we just watch something new. And this was one of them. And I actually uh, enjoyed it a lot. I think I've seen it maybe a couple times since. And it is one that I I agree, I do think is underrated. I think uh, there's a lot to like about this movie that sets it apart from others. So um, I had a feeling we'd eventually get around to it. And I was kind of happy about that. Yeah, I I, I think I caught this film at the perfect time. I think it probably would have been about me. 15, 16, you know, yeah, I really, really lo- loved it, M- mainly just because it had, you know, cool action scenes. And, w- well, I don't, I don't know that I like it as much now that I've got uh, grown up and become cynical or whatever, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I, I do think it, it, it probably gets less attention than it deserves. And I think the, uh, the, especially the action elements are, are quite uh, memorable and, well, I have issues with how the uh, some of the themes are executed. I think it, it does do it uh, pretty effectively. A lot of that, I think, is thanks to the uh, performances. And and just moving to talking about the cast uh, with the lead as uh, Christian Bale. He is really, really good. The way he plays completely emotional, uh, emotionless, I think he might be the only guy in the film that actually fooled me into believing he had no emotion. Um, cause it, it's so difficult, you know, that that's everything that the viewers are supposed to atta- are attached to and empathize with in the performance is in the emotions. But I think he pulls it off to where I could, I believe this guy has, has taken this drug and had all, all, you know, all, uh, human feelings removed. And then the way he just played it as, you know, tiny hints of emotion started to peek through, I think it was just really, really, uh, uh, moving. Yeah, no, I think Christian Bale is absolutely tremendous. And this is like, this is in between American Psycho and Batman Begins. So he's just like on the verge of superstardom as a movie. And it's, mm-hmm. and this is a very unique performance. Um, Cause this is kind of like during the time that I think, you know, Batman kind of made him a movie star. Um, American Psycho, I think kind of showed him as a, this guy is a legit actor. You know, I don't think he was, I don't think he became a movie star through American Psycho, but it showed people like, this is a guy that can act, you know? So it's like, okay, yeah. So he's getting, yeah, yeah, this is a guy that can definitely get into character. He knows how to, he knows how to to do his stuff. And then of course you also have the machinist too, um, which it's funny too. I actually heard a story that, the, the the difficulty with this film was that the film was not shot chronologically. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, the, the film was not shot chronologically. And so Bale had to, um, whatever they were shooting that day, um, Bale just had a lot of interesting techniques to get into that emotion of where his character was specifically at at that point in time. Like, for example, like, say, for example, like um, he would be shooting the, the, the scene with the dogs one day and then the next day he would have been shooting like the scene where he's meeting the resistance. So he has to be in a completely different frame of of mind character wise, you know, because where he's progressively mm-hmm. at. That's a very difficult job. And I don't know how he does it. Yeah. Uh, but he does it just convincingly. And you don't feel like that's something I praise the editors for doing because you don't feel like he's there's any of that. The the gaps, there doesn't seem to be any inconsistency there with um, 
with his prog- his emotional progression of you know him getting out of the uh, of the drug and him realizing what's going what's really going on. Um, but uh, it's pretty remarkable what he's able to achieve, you know, in that kind of shooting period, you know, because I'm sure that had to double his effort as an actor to kind of figure out, you know, where am I at emotionally and, you know, physically in these um, in these scenario scenarios. Yeah, the progression is really, really subtle and consistent throughout. So I can't think of another film where actors are asked to be fully emotionless. I mean, you can you have like cold, uh, unfeeling characters, but this is something completely different. Yeah, Christian Bale is my personal favorite actor, um, and it it goes beyond just you know the crazy method that acting he does and extreme weight loss. I just think he has an ability to become someone else entirely um, beyond just the physical performance, uh, uh, or at least like his physical appearance. He he feels like a, a different person from one film to the next. And in this, I, I remember thinking that he, he did feel like the only, only person. And this isn't exactly like an insult to the other actors, because I can't imagine how difficult it, it would be to try to convey this. But for him, he was the only one to truly fool me into thinking like just his eyes, the way he looks, the way he moves his head. It, it all literally just feels like it's almost like an uncaring machine that looks like a person. Um, and then it is kind of amazing to know that they shot it uh, not in any sort of chronological order because there are so different subtle changes to his character. It's kind of crazy to think that he had to keep track of it uh, because from one scene, we do just barely see emotions starting to peek through. And then, you know, the next one, he he's essentially experiencing a flood of emotions and he's trying to trying to hide it. So now it's like it's an actual person trying to act as if they have no emotion. So as this fantastic actor, he's got to almost pretend to not be an amazing actor trying to fool everyone else around him. So there's a lot of different stages that he goes through throughout the movie and he plays it all just incredibly well. The the thing that I, I, I'm always just floored by Christian Bale is, you know, the, the physical presence that he can bring, you know, but just his, his dedication to a role, whether it's American hustle, uh, you know, Batman or American psycho. um, The man is an acting machine i mean and um one of the things that i've always praised about christian bale is that he conveys so much through the eyes that's something that that that's something i love about his batman specifically because he's an actor that can emote so much and you can tell through the eyes there's a lot going on there and that's why i kind of you know i'm not going to say anything against ben affleck or anything like that it's He's just one of those actors that I just can't see anybody else playing that type of role or whenever they say he's going to be he's going to be in this type of film. Um, I always expect just nothing but that aspect of the inner kind of the inner conflict or the inner thinking that's going on there in his eyes. That's just such a compliment as an actor that I have to give to him personally. Just like I got to warn you, be very careful about talking when talking about BVS on here. We'll throw you off very quickly if we think you're insulting that. BBS founded this show, I'll have you know. Oh, okay. I'm up for it, man. <laughs> throw me your best shot. But we won't have to get into it right now. But <laughs> uh, and, uh, Moving on to some of the other performances. Um, what I think is really cool is, like, with the characters of Sean Bean and Emily Watson, is that they cast, I think, two a- actors that are, that I, that are so 
that I think I view as incredibly emotional performers. Um, there's for both of them. There's something about their eyes that just looking at their eyes, you, you, it makes you feel like there's some kind of, you know, deep, unfathomable struggle and life under, like underneath their performances. It just, it, no matter what character they play, there's, it just feels like there's so much roiling emotion inside their eyes. And I think it's perfect casting for, you know, the two characters that are, are the ones who feel within this uh, world. And, you know, the, the two, I don't know, maybe muses that kind of are that bring Christian Bale, you know, into their world. Um, I, I think both are just perfectly cast. And I think Sean Bean, what he he does, he's, he does a great job, like in, the, in his introduction, introductory scene of, you know, playing someone who does feel trying to play emotionless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think my favorite scene in the movie is, spoilers, uh, his death scene. Of course, um, you know, who doesn't like a good Sean Bale? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, because I, I think it's, it might just be the most, it's, I think it's really just beautifully directed and edited and the cinematography and the shot choices of the way, you know, the way it it cuts between them and just, you know, again, all, all the emotion underneath Sean Bean's performance and the, the, the Yeats poetry he's quoting. Um, I just, yeah, the, the casting, I think even beyond the whole cool factor really makes this movie. He does. A, he, yeah, they both do very little, especially like Sean Bean, um, because he does very little. And like he's killed off in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> he's killed off like straight up uh-huh. in, the, in the chest. <laughs> I actually I'm not going to lie. When I first heard that he's in this movie, I thought he was actually going to be playing a bad guy. Actually, I when I saw because I saw his name on the back of the DVD. I'm like, oh, cool. Sean uh-huh. Bean's in this movie. M- more likely he's playing a bad guy. I was wrong. No, no, no. He was playing a good guy, and then he's killed off in the first well, the, ten minutes. The thing is, even though he is immediately killed off, and also Emily Watson has at most four or five scenes, both of them I think leave an impression on the rest of the movie, which is you know the sign of a great performance. No, they, I think they are kind of like the the, the catalysts. Oh, I think Sean Bean is more so like the catalyst of 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 John Preston realizing that there's more. there's more that's beyond my current state of mind. There's more to it. Um, um, What's her name? Mary kind of plays more of the, this is, this is what it means to be human kind of aspect of this. It's kind of like exploring the, his inner humanity or retrieving his mind again. Tay Diggs kind of plays more of that. He kind of represents kind of that, that watchdog, like keeping his emotions in check. And then, um, and then William Fickner, I think, kind of is the evolution, if not the conclusion, of the Preston kind of arc. They kind of bring out certain aspects of the John Preston character. Yeah, I'm glad you you brought up that scene uh, where Sean Ben is ultimately killed, just to talk about him or, and his performance really quick. Uh, that's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie as well. And one of the things that I think is, like, it, it, whenever I think about this movie, I always go back to that scene. Because I think in a lot of ways that scene almost serves as the foundation for the rest of the movie. And it's really impressive how much it conveys. And I think a lot of that is because of Sean Bean and how perfect he was for the role, even though it was so minimal. Because we we do get a glimpse in only like the first 10 minutes of the cost that this new world peace has come at. Um, 
and you know he acknowledges that yes there was a, a price that we were paying before beforehand but that that's a price i would pay rather than this and uh to just for that scene to see him being essentially the exact same kind of person that john will eventually go on to be you all every everything about the movie and obviously they, they even quote it verbatim you know later whenever uh he's trying to convince people that he's still not feeling he's he's speaking uh sean bean's uh, lines but to me it's really cool that a lot of the movie kind of rests upon what was established in that first scene uh, the stakes of the the sense uh sense offenders uh the lengths that the this new government will go to uh the crime everything it, it establishes a lot about this new world in only 10 minutes and kind of emotionally draws us in and the dialogue is really really good in that scene yeah i love his, his line um after christian bale says he's sorry he says no you're not you don't even know the meaning of the word it's just a vestigial phrase of uh to show something you can't even feel and i think that's that's a, a really a powerful line i, I I think I butchered it a bit, but something like that. No, the, uh, yeah, no, you can't be Sean Bean, man. Come on. I mean, you, Sean Bean <laughs> says it more eloquently. I mean, you just don't have the Sean Bean vice where you got to go like this. You got to tread softly now. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's a stiff word <laughs> you've never felt before. See, I, that's my Sean Bean right there. I can't do a good Sean Bean, but... um, <clears throat> It was better than mine. I, and I just moving on to a cast member that I didn't like as much uh i don't know what tay diggs is doing in this movie um so i i i'm guessing by the final from revelations in the final scene is that he's not on the uh medication which makes sense because he spends the entire film smirking but in which case He's just an idiot because he's, he's so obviously feeling in every scene of the movie. I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's obviously it was obviously an intentional choice between him and the director, but I, I don't know what to make of it because he's doing either either he's acting really badly at, high, at 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 being emotionless or acting badly at trying to hide his emotions. I don't know. He, his character just did not work for me at all. Are we to assume that like when you're under the the drug like? each person has its own kind of personality potentially. I mean, that's one of the things I think the movie doesn't do very well is kind of exploring like, what is the extent? I mean, I think it, I think it's very obvious that you basically become like a vegetable that's told what to do like a lap dog, but mm -hmm. you don't, I mean, in the, I mean, from the, from what I've heard of the director, he's pretty much said, yes, he is, he is a sense offender. Um, Legally speaking, um, because he's under the payroll of the uh, the vice consul Dupont, uh, played by that guy from Braveheart. Which, <laughs> um, but yeah, he, I think I think he kind of lends the film a certain uh, a gravitas that's kind of fun because he he does have moments where he is definitely on to Preston. Like those moments where he's on to Preston, he does feel like. Like, that's where he should have kept, maybe he should have kept the, uh, like, you know, like, I'm drugged kind of personality. But, um, but I, I can kind of see where you're coming from on that angle. Um, but I do like his performance nonetheless. I think he's actually quite, I can tell that he's having a lot of fun, actually. But isn't fun, isn't fun a feeling? No. I, I don't know. I, 
I, I'm not. That's, that's the weird thing is I'm not sure if it's an issue an issue I have with the performance and the direction or with the writing and how just that it wasn't laid out clearly enough. Um, so yeah, I, I I do have issues more with the writing. I'll get into later, but yeah, just something about his character just never works for me. Uh, what did you think about it, James? Uh, yeah, I kind of thought similar to you. Where to me, it's it's not like it's it's a good performance for another movie to me because you, there's times where before he's even suspecting John of you know being a sense offender, where he's looking at him and he's smirking. And he's he's clearly like playing up these arrogant kind of personality traits that I think you have to have emotion to even exhibit. So it'd be one thing to kind of like almost show off that you too are a sense offender after you sure that that Christian Bale is as well. But even like on their first couple of assignments, it's just so obvious that he's behaving in a completely different way of everyone else. I'm like, there's no way you're on the medication. And if you aren't on the medication, that, that can work for a plot point later if you're going to use that. But right now, he's still he's, – he's always with Christian Bale pre-finding out that he's off of his medication and all of the other soldiers. So it, it does feel weird for this guy to – to me, in my opinion, he, he had a lot of personality in this movie. And I just don't feel like this is a movie where that character needed a lot of personality. Yeah. I mean like the, the scene where – he drags up Christian Bale into the police station and is beating him and you know proclaiming his crimes. He's like he's like he's displaying very boldly, passionate, indi- yeah, yeah, indignation. And he's like asking the, the entire action is asking other people to join in and score, scorn and have indignation at this man who's trying to destroy the society. But I don't know. Is it just everyone else is not trained whatsoever to recognize emotion? I don't. It, it just it just feels. Off. Everything about his character just feels like it's. I don't know. Maybe I'm just taking Christian Bale as the <laughs> the standard for what emotionless should be, and it just feels weird that no one else is even, or at least some of the other characters don't, don't even pretend to be emotionless when when the stakes are so high uh, for someone who is convicted of of having feelings. So what you're saying is Tay Diggs should have played the Sean Bean role, and then Sean Bean should have been playing the Tay Diggs role, and maybe should, and maybe Tay Diggs. <laughs> Him smiling and all that stuff would have gotten the bullet in the head in the first ten minutes of the movie. That's what you're saying right there. I think that would have worked. <laughs> I would have well, actually, about that. I'm saying fire Tay Diggs and get a better actor. <laughs> get Keanu Reeves. By the they way, I wanted to bring up something. I think. Yeah, yeah like the 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 line where he where Sean B says dust. If this is this movie's whoa. Um, by the way, the, did any of you catch it with the puppy scene? Did any of you think immediately of John Wick? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That, it's 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 so funny that in both. I mean, they obviously like when I was watching John Wick, the first thing I thought was Equilibrium because the the cool gung fu gung yeah, fu stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but now it's like yeah, th- there's no quicker way into the human heart than cute puppies. And if you want to establish a reason for a man to kill somebody, just give us a cute puppy. It really works every time. <laughs> Except that this time around, the puppy was defended, and no puppy died in this one, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of people died, though. But no, I was when I saw the puppy again, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, this is where John Wick kind of got the idea from. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry for interrupting the... Uh, 
the, yeah. the train of thought. <laughs> um, so, uh, with any other cast members you wanted to mention before we move into maybe some of the more technical stuff? Sean Pertwee plays the All Father or his father. What 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 do they call him again? They call him the the Fa- just Father. Yeah. Alfred from Gotham, by the way. <laughs> so we have another Alfred, not Michael Caine, but uh, that's kind of cool. But um, I have a question to uh, to ask you guys real quickly about the um, the dystopian kind of future, and maybe even also the uh, the representation of of the father. Did any of you see this kind of like as an anti god or anti Christian type of film in some ways? Because of, they kind of raise this. That's something I've kind of wrestled with for a long time. I don't think it's it's overtly kind of like an anti-Christian or anti-God type of film or message with the representation of the father. Um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this, guys. Yeah, um, that's I had that in my notes as well. Um, I guess full disclosure, I'm not as in love with this film, I think, as you two are. I definitely like it, but I, I think it's kind of muddled. I think this is one of the areas where I... It's more of I just don't understand what it's saying. Like, is I'm not sure if this is supposed to be some kind of indictment of religion. I mean, because you know the peacekeeping organization is called the Tetragrammaton, which is the word uh, for the name of God in like biblical manuscripts. And then the supreme leader is Father. The enforcers are called clerics. I mean, obviously, all of that is incredibly intentional. But beyond that, I. I, it doesn't I don't see how it really plays into it unless I mean obviously unless it's like the most obvious which is religion bad you, it teaches you to repress yourself and you should break free of its restraints and whatnot in which case that's kind of clunky um, if it's something more subtle I miss I missed it so I, I'm not sure what all that means yeah it doesn't do a very good job with it it But it even at the same time kind of even presents kind of humanism as a threat as well, because in that one, there's this one scene with William Fickner where he says, you know, um, emotion has a price. You know, if you, you know, emotion uh, can be dangerous. You remember that one scene at like towards the end where or like when William Fickner and Christian Bale finally meet, he does make that statement that emotion does have a price. Yeah. So which is very true. In a lot of ways, you know, you can't let your emotions get uh, come over you because it's going to result in horrible consequences. So it even so in some ways, it's also kind of in in some ways, like kind of an anti not as an anti-humanistic, but it does kind of present these two worldviews or, or views, period, as one may not be so one can be just as damaging as the other. So it's kind of like a very neutral kind of ground yeah, in some I'm, ways. I definitely do want to talk about that. But first, I uh, wanted to get a James. What, what did you think of its uh, handling of the whole religious aspect, James? So um, I actually didn't think about it the first time. This is the first viewing where it was even really brought to my attention. Um, I kind of took it almost as just not a a statement that was really meant to be profound, but almost just a, a means to an end, like to if the government in this is meant to be viewed as this controlling threat that people are just not like they're just above question and above reproach and you do what they say like okay well how can we can convey that to a viewer well maybe religion and they this is almost just religion to them and it's something that they obey and he's achieved this kind of status and then if you go that route then christianity is going to be the one that most american audiences are going to be most familiar with and then if you're going to go that route then 
it, it almost felt in some ways very Catholic. Like it, is this yeah, a, yeah, like I, a critique I, on um, you know, the Catholic or a Catholic hierarchy, and I don't know. Like like you said, it, it felt a little bit muddled, but to me, it almost just felt like this is a way that we can convey what we want to convey this is a a group that is revered in uh meant to be viewed as above reproach in some ways divine by calling him father uh the complete authoritative figure so it, it felt like they were just using imagery that we may be like imagery in terms that we would be familiar with to convey what they wanted to convey without actually making any sort of profound statement on it mm-hmm. yeah and moving on to, to what you had mentioned, uh, Chris, um, I think that conversation might just be the most fascinating question the film asks. And hence, I think my biggest disappointment with the film, because I, cause I don't think it, it um, you know, plays out the questions that were proposed there. Um, I think, you know, the idea of, you know, the first lesson that a, that someone who has an experienced emotion must learn is how to restrict and suppress that that emotion like in order to for us to function as human beings even though even like with that without the drug we all the first thing we have to learn is how to you know suppress and control all of our feelings and you know channel them into something more productive like if everyone was just ruled by their feelings you know we'd all be five-year-olds slapping each other everyone who insulted us and it, it you know it's chaos and i really wish there was like a sequence in the film or a couple of scenes that just explored that a bit deeper, you know, by having a character who has never experienced emotion. Now he has all these feelings and he has no experience restraining uh, them, controlling them. Because it, you remember that yeah, scene, restraining them. remember that scene where he, like a couple of the scenes where he goes into like those art rooms, like, or maybe like the scene yeah. where he's like holding the crystal ball and he's playing the record and the music comes up. Yeah. He's, I think he's experienced. He's like showing that he, emotion that's slightly unhinged you know and you could definitely say well that's kind of it's, yeah, that's it's the, the beauty that's... of the art kind of filling him he's recognizing the the purity or the beauty of it but at the same time it's like i can understand that and and that i think works for me because it's like this is the first time he's finally hearing something with a clear with with clear eyes now and he's seeing the beauty of it the beauty of the world but at the same time, you can kind of say, well, he's kind of a little bit unhinged, too. Those two, the, that scene, yeah, and, and the scene after uh, the execution where he breaks out, I think those are fantastic. What, what I was talking about was more of, I kind of wish the film kind of went the other way and, and explored a bit of the negative realities of emotion beyond beyond, beyond the propaganda videos, you know, like, say, sure, like, yeah, because there's also like rage like if he had like broken into a rage and like beat the po- that crap out of a guy or maybe lash out at his children and just to part of his struggle and whether or not to bring down the regime is he's experiencing all emotion not just the not just the positive ones not just grief over death not just being awed by the beauty of art but also rage and fear and like all the like i, I kind of wish that there was a scene where kind of like he's become crippled by negative emotions and has to decide is this really worth it? And I think the film only focuses on positive emotions. And so I think to really to give us that question of whether or not this society is better than what we had before, I think I really wish it, uh, it um, explored the negatives and the positives. And I I think, I think the entire film is very um, just 
it just it just does what it has to do, does the kind of the bare minimum, and does it in a fun way and gets out. And that that's not bad. I, I don't. I don't. No, I don't, no, 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 no. Because films I, can do that too. I think there are films that can definitely make that work. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't. I don't. That's not necessarily bad. I just. I think the film asked a few too many questions that I didn't fully explore, and so that's why. While I like the film, it just leaves me a bit unsatisfied. As to like, and and we were it it opened itself up to to potential, but never really fulfilled that. You could even say like those scenes. Um, you could even say like in the yeah, scenes where he like lashes out on all those like police officers, you know, or the the, the not police officers, the 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 the, the what are they called again? The uh, the the telegram the the telegram. What are they called? The, I'm just gonna call them uh, uh, Nazis. The Nazi prototype guys with the bike helmets. Um, yeah. Which that was a weird design. I never. I have never liked that design. Like the the, the motorcycle helmets. I have never liked that. Um, but you you were kind of saying like you know maybe you know kind of exploring the negativity of the actions or the negativity of the emotions. You could probably maybe like in his his scene with William Fickner. Um, that could have been a good opportunity to kind of talk about, you know, I killed all these men, yeah. you know, in the pursuit of keeping your men alive. Wagner could have said, yes, but they were, they were, they were done. They may have been a good cause, but they were driven by, by rage. You know, that's the thing that we need to separate ourselves from. We can't have that in the future. We need to try to kind of establish peace but again you know that's maybe that's just you know i'm not i'm not really thinking this that scenario out thoroughly um there's just there's better ways of doing of exploring that and i don't think maybe this film does it maybe it does it in a in a way where maybe you just have to think about it and kind of like oh maybe it's trying to do it this way but again it kind of leaves you a little bit desiring um, a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Sorry for yeah. C- chime in, James. We're sorry for interrupting you. So I remember thinking this most recent viewing after he kills everybody during like the dog scene. To me, a, a place that could have it could have gone after that that I think could have you know done a service to the movie would be him wrestling with the fact that he he acted in fear and self defense when they found the dog, but he killed people who were. Is no different from you know just scenes earlier. Uh, the idea that they could be him if if they were off of their you know the, this medication, and the only reason that they are the antagonists and the bad guys right now is because they are forced on this um, this drug. So I I would have seen exactly what you were saying where he's wrestling with the negative aspects of emotion. He's like the the only reason. He fought back in that moment was you know, out of fear. You know, they, they found him, they called his bluff, and now he has to defend himself or die. And so he gets scared and he, he ends up defending himself and he kills him. But that, the implications of the fact that the people he's killing are the exact same kind of person he was and everyone else was before. And it's kind of not their choice that they are this way. So he could be killing otherwise really good people who are forced into this, but the movie just kind of throws bike masks that obscure their face on them so you can just kill, you know, ten really have to worry about any sort of moral implications of what he's doing. They're more uh, so, so just I, I, they're more so like physical you, threats than anything else. You know, they're not really like thematic purposes or or aspects for the character. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 
I think it would have been, I don't know, if the whole, I mean, if they, they, the movie itself is what brought it up, this idea of, yeah, but we have to suppress emotions too. We can't let our emotions run wild. And there's, we're fighting for this kind of life, but there's still going to be a cost for this. And so the movie itself brought up the implications of emotions and uh, what happens whenever we allow ourselves to be entirely emotional creatures. And so I, I do think it's kind of, it's a fair criticism to say that it, it didn't deal with the implications of killing these people who are only different because they're not able to experience emotion. Like, and that, that's a choice that wasn't even given to them. And I, I don't know if we're going to move on from it, but I do want to talk about the, the scene of him hearing the music for the first time. Because outside of the action scenes, that scene and the scene in which Sean Bean died, those are the two scenes that stick out the most to me. And I, I love that the camera just zooms in straight into his eye as he hears this. And it kind of, in one shot, helps relay the... Uh, and, and convey the importance that art has to humans and how that separates us from other creatures, this idea that we can be deeply moved and affected by creativity. Mm-hmm. And seeing him just brought to tears, experiencing this, that he's spent a whole life destroying, uh, I thought that scene was just really well done. I think that, I think that aspect of the movie, that, that, the movie gets that part right, like the whole art you know, inspires or can trigger emotions. It, you know, that I think the movie gets that 90% right. Um, because we are influenced by art. You know, so many things influence us. Like, you know, we can look at uh, Michelangelo's uh, David, I mean, or the, uh, the, 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 the picture, you know, the, 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 the God and Adam uh, ceiling picture in the, uh, in the chapel, um, you know, that inspires us that makes us want to be creative but one thing i wanted to ask you guys do you think in some ways the movie is also kind of true to some maybe even true to some extent that uh, that art does kind of inspire negativity and i the reason why i'm saying that is because i've seen especially more recently now i have seen this this uprising of people kind of being inspired by movies and by television and then taking it to taking it the wrong way. Have any of you guys noticed that before? Especially recently. How, how, how so? Um, I'm going to, you know, I hate to kind of use this example, like, a like comic books, comic book movies. Um, I've noticed lately, like there's been this, this trend where, um, when comic book movies come out and like, and when critics share their opinions, like I remember like when the Dark Knight Rises came out, um, what was another one? Batman v Superman. I think there's a couple other ones. I think even some of the Marvel movies too, like, like critics were just sharing their opinions, like on Rotten Tomatoes, they were sharing their opinions and they were, and even though those movies were very well received, there were still some people that were like, ah, I just couldn't connect it. That sprung people to send, especially with like Batman v Superman and the Dark Knight, uh, rises, they were sending massive death threats to people. And <laughs> I was kind of wondering, like, does what, how does this form of art contribute to this type of behavior? 
I, you know, I don't know where this kind of where this mentality comes from, where people are like sending them death threats, you know, especially people who are and I've met them, too. I met them face to face and it's not very pleasant. I, I don't know of anyone who sends death threats at people who don't like the Mona Lisa. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> honestly, I think that is more just petty tribalism more than a deep emotional experience from the art seems like it seems to be more just, this is my team. How you don't you dare talk bad about my team. You know, how dare you insult my mom kind of thing rather than I so deeply love this, this thing that all these wonderful emotions are come roiling out at negativity. Yeah. I don't know because the film didn't seem to be going that way. It seemed to be more, if you if we have to sacrifice hatred and rage, we have to sacrifice beauty as well. Um, See, so yeah, I don't know that that is an interesting question. Yeah, but I I don't know if that's the same type of same category as the you know a love of art. Yeah, no, no, no. I I do. It just it's just something that I have kind of seen, and I'm kind of wondering: is the movie kind of making a comment about? The not necessarily the obsession, but maybe the negative influence that maybe art can have. Maybe the movie doesn't explore that very well. Maybe. Oh, just, just about that. To me, it, I think art doesn't really inspire anything like that from people. I think art is just the thoughts and feelings people already have being expressed. And so, if if someone is going to send death threats and do crazy things over a movie, then the potential and possibly even intent was already there. Art is just kind of a, the conduit being used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably a jerk in real life already. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, you just move on to the thing that everybody always remembers about this film is, I think it, it's, it's sense of style, um, which I think is, is very entertaining for whatever problems I have with some of its philo- philosophical uh, ponderings. I think it's just it's a it's cool, um, and it's it's obviously very influenced by the Matrix. But I think it, it does bring its own unique spin, especially with the gu- the gun kata, which I think is it's just really fun to watch. Um, I'm not sure if how mathematically and logistically if it's actually it would actually work. I think there were a couple times where people would definitely would have been shot. Uh, but it's just it's just I, I will for how unrealistic it may be, I will never grow tired of watching Christian Bale spinning around shooting hundreds of people in motorcycle helmets. No, no, absolutely <laughs> I, not. And I, I think my favorite moment is when he flips, when he's trying to save the dog and he flips over and lands. It's just this one long shot of him just standing between six guys going back and forth, shooting all of them like three, three or four times. I think that's like the most, one of the most, awesome things i ever seen that is the this is this is this is uh, that scene is this uh is this movie's um bullet time from the matrix actually so it, it's pretty yeah it's pretty remarkable I and mean, from what i've heard bale did it all himself but kurt actually the director kurt uh weimer he actually made it up himself he made up the gun kata it all came from him and him and his actually him and his little boy actually took Bale, like they just they made up the moves the three of them actually they just kind of sat down and just and designed the moves actually from what i've mm-hmm. heard yeah and it really looks like it could be a martial arts discipline and i think 
Christian Bale has such wonderful physical control, which is probably one of the things that got him the role of Batman. Is oh yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I fully believe that he is a master at this this form of combat. Yeah, to me, it it kind of moves between kind of sometimes maybe a little goofy looking, but between that and just epic and awesome all at the same time. Like, I look at it and I don't know if I want to just stand up and cheer or kind of roll my eyes or some sort of mixture of both. Um, <laughs> but I, once I kind of like buy into this world and this kind of combat, then it, it, it is... It is really unique and kind of cool to sit back and watch this this entire form of combat that's entirely unique to this. Um, mm-hmm. I would have done without this scene of him bashing everyone in the head with the handle of his pistol, though. That was. I actually, I don't. I I think some sometimes the editing can get too stylistic and choppy, but I actually I think the, the idea of you know placing himself in the middle of five guys and then you know using melee weapons to immobilize them all is is kind of pretty pretty cool I, but the the, the very but game the, the, the funny it, thing is here's something that's really funny though it's like he gets into that pose and then the camera gets a close-up shot of the the gun uh, the butts of the guns right there and all it just is like four little things just come out <laughs> it's like oh so that's really damaging and well apparently it does but it doesn't look very it doesn't look that that threatening like maybe maybe like they should have gotten like some knives or like a hammer head actually come out of there maybe i don't know or better yet just just have him just use the 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 gun butts just to actually just hit the uh the guys actually that i mean i don't know that that was one moment that kind of didn't work for me and here i am loving this movie i'm kind of been a little bit critical on it (laughs) but um well i think it's cool or maybe he just should have just said, Swear and fear me! And then he just, then they could have gone all, all, all out on those guys right there. Um, did any of you kind of get a sense of the Batman voice at times? I, I wasn't listening for it. I don't know. No, I'll rewatch it and look for it. But I didn't, I didn't pick up on it this time. There, were, there was a part where he kind of says, where he's talking to Sean Bead and he says, him, you, you know, you have, no, you have no idea where we stopped. You know, I've seen the jealousy the rage, you know, he says the rage is, I think, the furthest that he does is the closest thing that he does to the Batman voice, actually. Um, That's a very fitting word for that, though. Yeah. <laughs> rage. One thing I did want to say is that the architect, because I think this movie was shot in Germany. Um, I like the the black and white, uh, not black and white, but the, the black um, architect, like when they're in that council, uh, the, count, uh, the, the high council, uh, uh, a meeting room. I love mm-hmm. the black architect, and I kind of like the the fact that there's like you know there's no there's no pr- I mean just a desk, just some. And here's the weird thing too: they have a, a a man statue in that one in the council member's room, and the high council. Uh, what's his name again? Um, vice council. Yeah, vice council. Uh, Dupont's room, and he has a he has a statue there. And I'm not talking about the ending. I'm talking about like the first, like the first scene where him and Preston have a scene together, and he's just talking about his, the time that his wife was executed. It's interesting though that there's still these, these artifacts lying around that they kind of deem as, you know, heresy. Um, I don't know if that's a continuity error. I don't know if that's kind of like, well, you know what? I'm the big bad boss. I get to do what I want and I get to decorate my room any way I want. So 
deal with it. Um, but uh, yeah, did, did any of you guys notice that in, in his room? I, I missed that. But uh, one thing that stood out to me is in all of the propaganda videos, they are they feel incredibly emotional. Um, like there's a there's they're, they're written kind of poetically and they're appealing. They're very they're structured to be appealing to people. That's what propaganda does. <laughs> it just feels weird. You would think if they're trying to a- appeal to the population, they would uh, be much more, uh, f- you know, factual. But but they're very clearly um, kind of poetic in nature. And like the speech where he's uh, where in, right in the opening where he's like, you know, I congratulate you. You survived. And like he's getting all impassioned and everyone stands up and cheers. It feels like there's there's no there shouldn't be emotion there the only the only i'm not sure if this is actually intentional but the justification i thought of is maybe all the propaganda is actually intended for the sense offenders it's intentionally emotional to you know to try and convince those who don't believe in the system rather than to you know preach to the choir which i i don't know if that the film is that smart but uh it's kind of it's it's kind of a headcanon that i have mm-hmm I will say that, yeah, the movie kind of does, kind of lingers on that whole, um, it leaves you to kind of fill in the blanks at times for yourself. I, I, another aspect, I, I, you mentioned the architecture, and I think th- this film is a really, really cool uh, case of using a, a very low budget very well. Um, like, it's so, it's... <sighs> I guess from someone who knows a lot about films, this is very obviously re- redressed architecture, but they do it in a way that just feels so naturalistic to the world they've created. It creates a very immersive world, even though you know these these are obviously existing buildings, um, but they, they dress them up just right, and it's the the cinematography is just you know stark and uh, colorless enough to you know believe, to kind of to immerse us into this uh, this this um, this dystopian regime and i think they, they and i think that's the bu- motorcycle helmets are probably an artifact of the limited budget You're kind of repurposing existing things and some sometimes it doesn't work but i think just the whole overall set the production design is very effective for, for their uh limited resources yeah it's a really cool looking movie to me um the aesthetic to me it it works in a way that i understand how it, it almost looks like that's the most efficient way to build like efficient way to build things and if you were to build a city using a population of people who had no emotion that's kind of how it would turn out but it still happens to kind of look cool um <laughs> and so yeah just the aesthetic of the entire world and that the atmosphere established one of the best things i could say about the movie is that this world feels very real and established um it feels like that's a real city, you know, this, this nether, netherlands that they go to, um, just the way terms are used, the way the visuals are, the cinematography, uh, cinematography, the way the whole film is shot. It, it feels like they, I mean, you can, in a weird way, you, you definitely can tell that it's low budget, like you were saying some of the reasons already, but it's low budget in the best way possible. And that every every ounce of their budget is is used to me in the right way mm-hmm, uh, yeah. to just really create this very cohesive looking world that I 
that I have no real trouble in buying into. It feels more real than maybe like the Matrix. You know, it kind of has a much more, and as you said, you know, low budget. But I think the where the Matrix is much more fantastical and sci-fi. This one you can kind of believe, kind of in the same way like Mad Max, the Mad Max movies. In some ways, you can believe that this could happen. Um, I kind of had the same feeling with this one too. It kind of has that. Oh, I could believe this could happen um, in the future. Um, I actually heard a I actually heard a really cool story that Kurt Wimmer actually was looking at production photos for from Orson Welles' original Julius Caesar uh, production that he did in 1937-38. And he actually was very highly inspired by kind of the the Nazi uh, black and white and the the attire uh, look. And that's what he... He actually was inspired by that particular production, not The Matrix. Maybe The Matrix here and there, but he was highly inspired more by... By Orson Welles's Caesar, actually, and the the look of that play. Well, it, it was shot in Berlin, so, so that does make sense. And I, I, overall, I really, I think I do have issues. I think I think there are times when the film tries way too hard to be cool. I think at the expense of whatever. Um, like the, I think the, the entire last act is just let's kill people in awesome ways. Uh, but I, I I do like. I think the direction for the most part is really solid. I think uh, Kurt Rimmer just has a, a decent eye for just setting up situations and keeping the momentum going. I think there are a lot of just really, there were a lot of really creative shots. I noticed um, that, were, that were setting up locations and just capturing movement. Um, and the thing that I think works the best is the quiet scenes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stretches of this film that have no dialogue that just got that are wor- just pure world building through visuals um, because since everyone's emotionless, there's like no small talk. So there's a lot of uh, quiet moments, but also the quiet emotional moments. Like we talked about them before, you know, where he's, he's up uh, listening to the music or when he's sit, when he's talking with uh, Emily Watson's character or weeping in the street, I think he was able to visually capture what it would feel like to be feeling those emotions after having not having never felt them before, I think in, in really creative ways that I think make this that even though with all the problems we've already talked about, I think that do put just a cut above just a cool shoot 'em up film. Yeah, he's probably using. I mean, he's probably. I don't know if I would say. Um, I mean, he's done really cool movies. Kurt Wimmer, I mean, he's done some really cool stuff. I mean, you look at his resume, I mean, he was, he's got, he's only done three directorial efforts. He's done, what is it, One Tough Bastard, Equilibrium, and Ultraviolet. Did any of you see Ultraviolet by any by any chance? I have heard, never heard a good thing about that one, but no, I haven't seen it. I heard it's like, I've heard it's like Equilibrium, but uh, ten I times s- the ridiculousness. That's, that about describes it. Yeah, but it's he's done like a lot of writing. Like he's he wrote Sphere, he wrote the Pierce Brosnan Thomas Crown Affair, Recruit, Street Kings, Law Abiding Citizen, Salt, Total Recall, Point Break, and apparently he's writing Salt too, which I don't know when that will ever happen. But anyway, um, he's got a. I, I think he's actually a decent writer. I don't think he's horrible. Um, do you think in some ways this was kind of his unmaking, this film right here? Well, it did bomb disastrously. I think, I'm think i pretty sure Ultraviolet bombed badly as well. So, 
That probably explains why he hasn't directed. Though, I'm surprised he hasn't gone into TV. He strikes me as a director that would work really well in TV. I'm just, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't moved into that. Because I, I mean, with his record, I don't think he's going to get a, a, a movie again. But I think he, he could work quite well in that in that uh, format. I think. I mean, I think he's set for. I mean, I think it looks like he's not doing too bad. So I think he's at least safe, <laughs> somewhat. I know we've been kind of like going back and forth on this movie. Does it work or does it not work? And we can probably all agree it's a problematic film, but it still is a really good problematic movie. Um, but I have to say, with the climax, um, do you think the the fight, the final fight scene works between... I think the hallway fight scene leading up to him and the him fighting... The, the little fight that he has with Tay Diggs, but then ultimately with him and the vice council. Um, does, did you feel like a little cheated when him and Tay Diggs really don't have a much of a fight? He just cuts off his, the, the front of his head and, and that's it. Or do you feel like that was a statement saying like, this guy is superior to everyone? I, I think it's, it's a fun expectation subversion. Just this guy's all cocky and he just chops him up and moves on. I mean, I, I did like if, if I had liked Tay Diggs, maybe I would have wanted something more, but not like him. It was quite satisfying. Okay, okay. Yeah, for me, I I like it. Um, I I do kind of wish that uh, that we got a a cool, fun melee fight with like katanas because we never really see katanas being used other than that one scene. So I would be a little bit more forgiving of the scene. If we already had a really cool, like, Quentin Tarantino style. But he, he, he does chop up those six guys before he does Tay Diggs. I thought it was it's pretty cool, though. That's true, but I don't know. I, I think seeing a really cool, like, duel would have been cool. But I also do kind of like the idea of this person who's, whether he was supposed to be viewed as arrogant or not, uh, to me, he's been this incredibly smirky, arrogant uh character this whole movie so there was a there was some satisfaction for me to just see one swoop and he's done i thought that was a little bit funny though when he's like he he chops his head and then he goes down and then he just turns to the side you could that's probably like one of the the cheap the cheap end kind of effect scenes where his 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 face just slides up like melted cheese on pizza when you hold it from the side and you're not holding it up properly you know and then it's just, it's just funny. His his face just slides off just smoothly, and no bursts of blood, nothing like that at all. Did it feel like the the movie's rated R? Does this movie feel rated R at all? It feels like a like a pretty PG thirteen at times. I yeah, I don't recall any language. I think I think it's just the spurts of blood here and there, and and slicing off a guy's face. I don't think there's any way that could have been PG thirteen. But it doesn't feel. I mean, it doesn't feel. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel like gory. It doesn't feel like um, gladiator, like like the Matrix. You know, it, it feels like a a, a PG thirteen movie with a couple R moments rather than like a full on R film. Hmm, that's the thing I've kind of wondered too about this movie. Is well, and then that kind of asks this begs this other question: which is the superior movie, the Matrix or Equilibrium? And I've kind of, I'm not going to lie, I have Matrix. noticed, well, I have noticed that people seem to be siding with this film, actually. And I don't know if it's because of the Christian Bale aspect. I don't know if maybe it's because it's a somewhat 
maybe a simpler version of the Matrix, where the Matrix is much more out there with its ideas. Um, but I think people like to be contrarians. <laughs> I like this movie. I can't imagine a universe where anyone thinks it's better than the Matrix, but oh well. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm very firmly on Matrix, in spite of how much I do enjoy this film. I think the Matrix is like a nearly perfect movie that's mind-blowing on multiple levels so no sure absolutely absolutely and yeah that's right i would i would i would definitely say that but i think actually this film has the better actors oddly enough you know i would probably go i would probably i hate to say that as much as the actors in the matrix are great i would probably go with these actors keanu reeves is a mixed bag but i think he's well cast in the matrix and Lawrence fishburne is he can do no wrong so I I I think the casting is pretty comparable. I mean, yeah, for me, I, I mean, Christian Bale is without a doubt the better actor of the two. But Matrix is one of those movies where it feels like the entire movie was tailor made for Keanu Reeves to give a performance that works in kind of every way. Mm-hmm. So this is one where I mean, there was almost no way Keanu Reeves wasn't going to be great in it, just because it's like the movie set him up to be great in it. <laughs> um. Okay, so I had a couple of final questions. Um, first off, what did the rulers want? So it, it seems pretty obvious that the ruling class is not on, uh, is it prosium, whatever the drug is. Um, in which, in which case, what do you, what do you think their motivations are? Um, is it do they? Have they realized that they can't properly govern without emotion, or do they believe do like they believe that, um, like you know, the cause is just people shouldn't have emotion, but they think they need it. Or are they just hypocrites who want power and have you know enacted this scheme in order to stay on top? Is the whole thing a hoax? I mean, how how do you how do you view that, James? Well, I kind of took it as yeah. I was just to me, it feels like um, it probably started with good intentions, but devolved into the last option you gave which is just if if we're gonna people are easier to rule they don't when they feel like they're being ruled and they you know they they lack the emotional response to try to fight back and so it might it, it felt to me as if this is the easiest way to stay in this position of power that our predecessors have put us in what about you chris um that's a good question um there's a moment, there's a scene with Tay Diggs, and when he he does say to he does tell Preston, you know, you know, once we're done with wrapping up all these rebels and the rebellion and uh, getting ri- and destroying everything, um, what is left for us? He does ask that question in the movie, and you kind of want, you know, they're probably kind of. I would probably say they're just kind of caught in the moment. They're more like this organization is more so caught in the moment of capturing all these guys and establishing world peace. And that's kind of it. They don't really have more intentions beyond that. I think that's kind of, it's kind of eradicate the threat and get rid of it as soon as possible. And we'll see what happens from, (laughs) we'll take it from there. So I think it's more kind of like we're taking this step by step um, with kind of a superficial view of of world peace. What about 
the leaders who aren't on the drug? Why do you think they're not on the drug? Do you think they're because they believe it's the best for their country or just because they're like, hey, we're, we're, we're awesome. Screw you, the rest of you guys. I think it could be that, um, you know, like it's the desire to stay on top. Um, I mean, it, it, I, I think in that in that final climax, when him and when when Preston and the uh, the vice council uh, go head to head with each other and when they he outmatches him. He kind of, you know, he is threatened. You know, he does. He does tell him, like, look, I live, I breathe, and I think I'm not under this drug. Um, can you live with the guilt of killing me? Um, I think, I think you can definitely say it's the desire of power um, that he's trying to. He's main or the, the maintaining that power and just controlling things under his thumb, being a dictator. Um, kind of like the guy in Korea right now that we're kind of in the verge of going to war with. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of... Um, it's very ambiguous. And maybe the movie... And that's one of my biggest problems too with the climax is that I don't think there is a proper resolution. It's like the fight's done. Everyone rebels and takes down the government. That's it. You don't see like things going to normal. You don't see kind of that, the, the normality, people forming to this new function of life. There's none of that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what I, that's how I kind of view the government and the circumstances. You know, the like, father was there to keep everyone in check, but then once Bale found out what was going on, it kind of was a hindrance to their plan, and then everything was exposed once he got in there. Hmm. Alright, uh, so is there anything else you guys wanted to mention before we move into our final thoughts? I think I'm ready. Alright, um, so let's, uh, let's why don't we start with you, James? So, I think that this is a movie that just kind of came out at a bad time where it was just going to get overshadowed by other movies. Uh, but I'm glad it's kind of received a cult and hopefully people who really enjoy this movie will show other people because I think there's a lot to like here. It is reminiscent of things you've seen before, but there's a lot to this movie that's entirely unique to it. Um, It's got a great performance start to finish from Christian Bale. The action is really cool and unique. This world that they create feels very real and established, and they they use their their money really well to create this interesting world to look at. And so for whatever faults it may have and, you know, being too ambitious in some places and not ambitious enough in others – it's still just a really fun time and it's a, a really cool looking movie and um, it's it's a lot of fun to watch, at least for me. What about you, Chris? Do I recommend this movie? <laughs> and is it an underrated movie? I know we've been kind of going back and forth and saying, well, this is cool, but this is kind of problematic here. This might be the most, I know that your show is called Underrated, but maybe this should be called more divisive <laughs> episode you've done. <laughs> um, um, it's, it's a very problematic movie, no doubt. It's a, it's B-movie sci-fi, no doubt about it. But it is definitely an enjoyment that, um, for me personally, if you're a huge Christian Bale fan, you're going to love this movie. I, because the man acts his butt off in this movie. And, um, I'm not going to lie to, look, I'm speaking as a straight man. Christian Bale looks good. In this movie, I'm, I'm, he really does. I mean, look at him in that suit. I mean, and just, um, he looks great. I mean, you can, I like, honestly, it makes me look at my belly and just say like, man, why can't I have an ab like that? (laughs) Um, 
He definitely looks cool. He he looks great. No, he looks cool. I mean, I would rank this up there like right underneath Batman in terms of how cool he looks. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I do recommend uh, Equilibrium and uh, buy it. It's it's like if you can find it, it's like five bucks at like any retail store. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I've, I've gone through all my problems with it. I'm not gonna go through them again. So. I, I think I probably like this the least of all of you guys, but I, I still I think it's I'm never sorry I see it. I think it's very entertaining. I I think that this film works best if you approach it as a fun, stylish action movie rather than a uh you know, a philosophical exploration of um of emotions and its impact on society. And I think it's 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 um forays into that are enticing enough that kind of I'm kind of disapp- always disappointed when it never plays out but still I think it's a very entertaining film we talked about we've praised the performances we praised the style and the action it's just a, a very fun and very well paced it's only like an hour and 40 minutes it never gets boring um I think the the critical reception is harsh um and I I think sure it, it it just it does have a cult status, but I think it, it might maybe deserves a slightly bigger cult status because I think there there is a lot of cool things and, and memorable things in here just on the style level, and then there are like wonderful nuggets of emotion and whatnot to be found in the performances in certain scenes. So it's not perfect; it has a lot of flaws, but I think it's it's very enjoyable. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I am on it. Okay, uh, that was our review for uh, Equilibrium. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I'd like to ask you uh, to please go and rate and review us on iTunes. And if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We are there at Underrated Podcast. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to underratedpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are there at underrated underscore pod. And uh, Chris, uh, thanks for coming on again. This was fun. Thank you very much. And please check out my story to screen movie review podcast. Wink, wink. Well, yeah, I, I, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask you uh, where can we find where can people find your uh, your uh, show and whatnot. Oh no. <laughs> um, um, anyway, no, I, I, no. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes. Duh, of course. Uh, where else would you find us? Um, what's uh, we're also on uh, YouTube as well. Uh, we have a couple little interviews there with uh, the director of the Star Wars: The Last Jedi. We got a little interview with him. Um, and also, uh, the interview with director Chris McKay, the, the director of the Lego Batman movie, little fun, little interview there with him. And, uh, and yeah, uh, we'll be returning soon and I'll be happy to announce that our, that our next review will be the Nightmare Before Christmas, a Tim Burton classic actually. So, uh, we'll be returning very soon with that film. All right. Um, so for next week, um, we're actually having another guest. It'll be a Chris Heflin from Article Asylum, and we'll be talking about uh, the Robin Williams film What Dreams May Come. I have never seen this film, and I've—I don't even think I've ever even seen a trailer for it. But I—I'm very intrigued by it. Isn't that the one with like him walking with like this artistic background and a dog or something like that? I've seen the poster. Is that the one? I. I don't even know. <laughs> I think that's the poster, and I think the poster is all I know about the movie. I know, and it looks very peculiar. That's one I need to check out myself. I'm gonna watch it. Go watch it. Go watch it right now. See you later, guys. So until next time, we can tell you how we feel about, about this movie that we've known nothing about essentially. <laughs> uh, we will see you next time. See ya.